grateful for this congregation, uh, so grateful for your uh, patience and grace in the season that we have been uh, walking through as a church, not only just Life Church, but obviously churches all over our valley and all over, really all over the world, uh, navigating this uh, kind of uh, unique circumstance. And so thank you so much for your continued support and love that we feel uh, so often. And uh, our staff is not what it should be, right? I mean, there, there are, we definitely have some holes, and please pray as uh, we continue to look for uh, children's youth and uh, working through some options for our Spanish ministry and really appreciate your prayers uh, as we search for those uh, pastors to fill those spots. So again, thank you so much. And from all the staff, thank you. Um, we are in our series uh, called for, Hashtag For The Valleys. I don't know if I should say hashtag in the front of it, but I will. Hashtag For The Valleys. And uh, this is really kind of our heart's cry is that God has uh, put in with, within our own hearts that uh, God has uh, put Life Church where it is for the past 65 years or so. And, uh, you know, right here in West Valley, it started out in Kearns, but now in West Valley um, for a reason. And uh, God has called us to reach, uh, to reach this valley. And so the bottom line for us is we found out last Last week, God has called us to lead the people of the valley to be more like Jesus. And I want us to, um, to kind of have in our own hearts, uh, asking ourselves that question, what does it mean uh, to be more like Jesus? Because this is really a deep-seated passion for us. How many of you are just like Jesus? Any, anyone just like Jesus, right? We, all of us have a long way to go uh, before we're just like Jesus. Uh, last week, we ended our series... Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, or ended our message, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse, um, or chapter 11, verse 1, I apologize. And it said, uh, Paul was speaking to the church in Corinth, and he said, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. And I love that heart's cry, and that should also be ours as well, that we, as we follow after Jesus, we know that by our lives, we are leading people to Jesus. We need to represent him uh, well to the world around us. And so for us, what does it actually mean to be more like Jesus. And so over the next 52 weeks, we're going to go through a series. No, we're not going to do that. Um, trying, to write, trying to be like Jesus is this overwhelming task because there, I mean, there are so many areas that we can, we can focus on to say, yeah, that, I need to be like Jesus that way. Yeah, I need to be like Jesus that, yeah, and that's another way, another way. So what we've done as a, as a staff and kind of working through, um, you know, really praying through God, what, what does it look like for Life Church Utah? For us to be like Jesus. Now, again, this is not an exhaustive list. Uh, these are just some elements that we're putting into action uh, that are going to help Life Church Utah as we move forward, saying, This is what we're about. These are the areas that we're going to be focusing on uh, here in the future. And so for us, there's five ways we can be more like Jesus, and we're going to unpack these over the next five weeks or so. Uh, these five are, number one, commitment to biblical truth. Uh, all of today is going to be talking about uh, the importance of the Word of God in our lives. The second one is we innovate ministry to reach the next generation that I believe that we serve a creative God and that creative God can create some new exciting ways that we can innovate to reach the next generation. And that next generation is not just children, although that is absolutely vital, but it's really about the next generation of those who have yet to follow Christ, this next generation of believers. And so we wanna innovate ministry to reach the next generation. The next one is intentional love of others. 
God wants us to be intentional in how we love other people. And that can show up, uh, we talked about Isaiah Calling already, and that's one incredible way to have intentional love of others. Our farmer's market, uh, through our life groups and other ways, and we'll be exploring other ways that that looks for us to be intentional. And we look at the life of Jesus, he was very intentional in the way that he loved others. Next one is radical generosity. It's already part of our lives. It's part of our DNA. Life Church is incredibly generous, but we want to see that expand. We want to see missions expand. We want to see our uh, outreach to our community expand. And uh, that, gener- that uh, radical generosity is more than just finances. Uh, it's really, it's time, talent, treasure, all of our lives to be radically generous. And then the last one, uh, something I think is very close to home, is for us to, be, uh, to develop healthy relationships. God wants us, Life Church, to be all about developing healthy relationships. And that'll start like even on our website and what are the things that we can do to be a blessing to the community around us and then how do we make sure that within our community of faith that we're developing healthy relationships. Um, how many of you want a healthy marriage, right? We want those. How many of you want healthy friendships, right? All Healthy parenting, all of that, and ourselves to be healthy as well. So we'll be looking at these five things as a foundation uh, for Life Church uh, here over these next uh, five weeks. So we start with uh, what is really a foundation for us, and that is uh, the Bible. Now, it might seem pretty obvious that a church should have as its foundation the Bible, but I feel like we've got to draw some attention to that uh, given the context in which we live um, here in the Salt Lake Valley. And so uh, I want to make a very clear statement about what we believe about the Bible, and this is actually taken directly from, uh, so we are part of the Assemblies of God. That is our denomination of which uh, Life Church Utah is a part of. And uh, our first uh, doctrine that we have of our fundamental truths that we hold to, the very first one says this, The scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, are verbally inspired of God and are the revelation of God to man, the infallible authoritative rule of faith and conduct. So this is the word of God. Right? We, we go to the word and this becomes where we look to uh, how we should live our lives, what our relationships should look like, how we conduct business, uh, how we parent, how we are in our marriages. We look to the Bible to be that foundation for us. So we look to the Bible, no other book, no other document, no other spiritual writing to guide us, to lead us, and to reveal God to us. It is the Bible and the Bible alone. The Bible, this is his, uh, God's revelation to us is his creation. There is no other book for us to look to for, for God to reveal himself. Any other book claiming this position uh, really is falsely ascribing to themselves a position that is reserved to the Bible and the Bible alone. That is it. Bottom line. That's what we look to is the Bible. Am I clear on that? Is that, is that clear? Okay, good. Um, so with that, a quick word about translations. Right, we, uh, so if you go to the, if you're, if you're like coming to Christianity for the very first time and you start reading a Bible and then you look at somebody else's Bible and it's different than yours, there might be some concern. Like, oh, what, do I have a wrong Bible? What's, what's going on with this? So how many of you have the Bible app? Anybody have the Bible app on your phone, other smart device, things like that? If you don't have it, uh, go right now while we're talking uh, onto Apple Store or Google Play or wherever you need to, Android, whatever it is, and go download the Bible app right now. Uh, because on there, what you're going to find uh, is, I don't know if it's hundreds, but certainly nearly a hundred translations of the Bible, different versions of the Bible. So what's all of that about? 
So there are different versions of the King James, New International Version, New Revised Standard Version, English Standard Version, the Message Bible, New Living Translation, New American Standard. There's all of these different ones, and it can be overwhelmed. How many of you are overwhelmed by the number of versions that we have, right? So how do you pick the best version? How do you do that? Well, what you do is you go through the Bible app, or you go through, um, uh, you can look online and you can look at different versions of the Bible as long as they are kind of that evangelical bent, right? You go there and you look through them and you find one that makes sense to you as you read it and you find it easy to read. That's the Bible that you need to find. And so if you are just starting off, the New Living Translation, can I recommend that one to you? The New Living Translation, NLT, you'll see that in the, uh, um, in the Bible app. NLT is a great one because it's super simple to read. It's written in such a way as to, uh, uh, to be easily understood. If you want something a little more robust and you want to do a little bit more study, you need to find one that's a little closer, a little more wooden to the original Greek language, and that's going to be like the New American Standard Bible, right? And that's going to be the one that you're going to want to do for study and things like that. But you find a Bible that you can read and understand, that's the Bible that you should read, all right? So don't be confused by all of those different versions. Since the uh, Gutenberg Press, the Bible has been printed now for hundreds of years. And uh, the first printed Bible, and really the first major printing of any sort, uh, was the Gutenberg Bible of 1454. I'm going to get, can I teach just a little bit? I'm going to be a little bit teachy here for just a moment. Um, and it was the, uh, the um, 18, or I'm sorry, 15, um, hello, 1454 is when the Gutenberg Bible was printed. It was German, translated from uh, Greek, uh, Latin, and uh, Hebrew, and a little bit of Aramaic, okay? So that was translated version, was the Gutenberg Bible. Uh, a little less than 100 years from there, the Tyndale Bible came out, and that was the first English translation of the Bible, now, when uh, William Tyndale, when he printed that Bible, um, he was told not to and, in fact, commanded not to do it because at the time, and this seems very strange to us, but the church at the time did not want the Bible read by people in the church. And so the church actually killed William Tyndale for printing the Bible in English. How's that for a reward for printing the Bible, right? And it seems very strange for us because now, for, I mean, we have it in so many different versions, so many different languages. Uh, in fact, in the, uh, um, on the Bible app, you're going to find the Bible there in lots of different languages as well. And in 1611, uh, we know that God's word can't be stopped, right? So 1611 is the Bible that many of us are probably most familiar with. It's been around uh, really for the, the longest uh, kind of version that we know, and that's the King James Version of the Bible, and that's the these and the vows, which, by the way, when I was studying it, the these and the vows and the Fs, you know, kind of thing, that was actually outdated at the time that King James Bible was written, just so you know. It was even antiquated language uh, for them. And, uh, but that was 1611, and for, for hundreds of years, that was the pinnacle of biblical scholarship. And it was written so well and in, in, in so accessible a language for people, became very dearly beloved. But early 1900s, late 1800s, there began to be more and more and more translations into the common language for us to be able to understand. And how many of you know the English language changes a little bit 
that's really not the same as it was in the 60s as it is now in the uh, 2020s. And so Bible versions change along with that language. The original meanings don't change, right? But it's getting to the language that we understand and are comfortable with. It goes always back to the Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And so we trust the Bible to be what God has for us as his followers. So in Jesus' day, not sure you recognize this, but in Jesus' day, uh, his Bible would have been the Old Testament. And so our Old Testament was Jesus' Bible. And there were different versions of the Old Testament in Jesus' day. And so Jesus, when he was referring to the writings of the Old Testament, he was referring to the different versions that were even available to him uh, there as as a rabbi and as a teacher. And there's this one point where he is talking to a group of, um, of learned people, right? These were the Pharisees, the scribes. These were the ones who were the teachers of the law. And he says this to them, John chapter 5, verse 39. He says, you study the scriptures thoroughly because you think in them, in the scriptures, you possess eternal life. And it is these same scriptures that testify about me, about Jesus, but you are not willing to come to me so that you may have life. So one thing that we've got to keep in mind whenever we read the word of God is this, that the function of the scriptures is not to give life, but to point to him who can. Right, every scripture that we read, every time we pick up the Bible, it is pointing to one person and one person alone. That is Jesus Christ himself. Every page we read. So from this, we can see a couple of conclusions. Number one, Jesus believes that scripture points to him in such a clear way that those who read scripture should see him in its pages. And in fact, he holds people responsible for not doing so with eternal consequences, <laughs> right? And the second thing is there's, uh, there are ways of reading scripture that miss the main point of the Bible. That danger remains just as real today for us as it was for Jesus' time back when he was reading the Old Testament. And we can miss Jesus through the scriptures. I'm going to invite you to turn your attention to the screens. The Bible, to me, is a directional tool that I have to have every morning. And without it, I seem to stumble. It's what gives us our food each and every day. You know, we eat every day, and so we need to feed our souls as well. I'm a preacher's kid. So at age nine, I gave my life to the Lord. I want to be just like Daddy. I received the Lord as my Savior when I was a little girl, and I was so excited. I understand why the Lord says to receive Him as a child. Um, it's that's innocent, that excitement. There was a moment in my life where I walked away. The worldly things looked better. Not reading God's Word, not reading. Um, what he had for me and to help me grow spiritually or pray, I started stepping back from the Lord little by little and you you don't realize it until you're completely out of the picture. I knew the Lord. I had joy in me that no one else can put in me except for the Lord. But when I walked away from him, that was gone. That peace was gone. Um, Filling it with, with stuff that wasn't correct. Um, Sin after sin, poor choices, and the consequences that I put my family through because of those choices and not living a life of obedience to the Lord. You know, you always try to fill that void with, with garbage, 
that's what I call it now. I thought it was love. I thought it was excitement, the thrill of going out, doing things, but it was emptiness. It was just a void. And I always thought, oh, maybe next time that's going to, it's going to be the greatest time of my life. When I was a, a full-fledged alcoholic, I committed some crimes that were irrevocable. Um, I'd done some damage to a past marriage, to my own child, to every relationship that was around me. I was just spinning out of control. You know, the Word of God is, uh, is, is something that guides us and leads us. And so there's a couple of cautions um, that I want to uh, kind of put in your, in your mind and in your heart when you read, when you read the Word. Number one is uh, this caution, um, reading the Scripture to find what you want it to say. Because you can, ju- you can read the Bible and probably justify any action you would like to justify because you're going to find it in the Bible because it's real life, real people who've gone through real heartache and real difficulty, have done lots of crazy things. You're going to find that in the Bible and you're going to say, well, it's in the Bible, therefore I can do it. <laughs> and that's not right. That's not right. That's reading back into the Bible. There's actually a word for that. You ready to be really uh, educated today? The word is eisegesis. It's a good Greek word. And all that means is you read back into the text something that's not there. In other words, you have an idea and I want to go find justification for it. So I'm going to read it back into the Bible. And that shows up in just a very uh, one simple way. And I've seen this, um, seen this a lot as a pastor in marriages where uh, uh, a husband, and usually in particular, goes, you have to do what I say at all times because that's what the Bible says. Yeah, not really. <laughs> okay. And so, uh, so reading back into it and trying to justify a particular action, we cannot do that when we read the word of God. And the second one is when we, uh, when we read scripture without a heart towards transformation. We have to read the word of God and recognize that it's going to transform us. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says this, every scripture is inspired by God and useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the person dedicated to God may be capable and equipped for every good work. Every every one of those words that are spoken there, the correction and training and reproof and rebuke, that's all about transformation, that we don't have it all together, (laughs) that we need to be transformed, and that happens when we open our hearts to God every time we read the word. In fact, a great prayer would be, Lord, transform me as I read your word. <laughs> and that might be something every time you open up the Bible, every time you get on your, uh, your phone and you start reading it, Lord, transform me as I'm reading your word. So if our premise is that we need to be more like Jesus, then how did Jesus view the Bible that he had? Was it important to him? Remember, his was our Old Testament, and if you read through the Gospels where the words of Jesus are recorded, uh, you see that he quoted from Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, 1 Samuel, 1 Kings, Psalms, Isaiah, Daniel, Hosea, Jonah, Zechariah, Malachi, okay? He quoted directly from every one of those books in the Old Testament, and then the principles of his life are built on all of the Old Testament. In fact, as a 12-year-old, it says in the book of Luke, that Jesus was in the temple as a 12-year-old, and he's there school 
schooling the teachers and the leaders and those who thought they knew, there's Jesus telling them about what God was speaking in his word. Jesus knew them. In fact, uh, more than likely, Jesus had memorized the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Have you ever tried to read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy? It can be tedious at times, but he probably had that memorized as a young man because that was the core value of their Jewish culture. It was absolutely important to him. And so there's some key moments uh, in Jesus' life, and I'm just going to pull out one of them. There's so many we could go to um, that show the importance of the Word of God in his own life. In uh, Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus had just been baptized, and it says that um, he went out into the wilderness and was tempted. And uh, uh, this temptation there, and, and basically when facing temptation, Jesus used the words of God. And so he was facing this. How many of you have faced, ever faced temptation? Right? Anyone? All right, good. Rest of you were tempted not to raise your hand, and so that was temptation. So, uh, all right, so you've just tempted, so raise your hand. Um, so listen to what Jesus says when he's, when he's up, when he's in that moment of struggle and pain in his own life. He says in, in verse 4, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In verse 7, you are not to put the Lord your God to the test. Verse 10, you are to worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So these are direct quotes from the Old Testament. Before every one of those statements, he says this, and I love this. He says this phrase. He says, it is written. It is written. About 30 times in the New Testament, Jesus responds in, uh, to um, the confrontations that our religious leaders are putting. He refers back to the written word of God. He says, it is written. It is written, and then he goes on and gives hope. It's written, and he goes on and talks about God's blessing. It's written, and then he goes on and gives some sort of prophetic, uh, prophetic teaching. Whatever it is, he refers back to what was written and says, this is my foundation. I'm not going to stray from that foundation. So how important is it to be able to say, it is written? Um, Shelly and I have been married for 28 and a half years. I love throwing that extra half in there. And of those 28 and a half years, 27 of them have been fantastic. No, okay. Uh, they've all been absolutely fantastic, okay? And um, so those 28 and a half years, uh, when we were dating, um, we would write little notes to each other, right? You remember that, those early days of dating? You would write, the, hopefully you did this. You would write little notes to each other. I love you, honey, you're awesome, you know, all that stuff, okay? And then as, as you know, you kind of go on in your marriage, sometimes that can have a tendency to fall off a little bit. And um, so when Shelly and I were cleaning up a room the other day, uh, we, we came across uh, the, the old boxes that kind of sit in the corner in those various rooms and opened it up. And there and there are these, I mean, I would say hundreds maybe of letters that we had written back and forth to each other, just I love you and just encouraging and all that stuff. And so I was thinking about that and preparing for the message today. And uh, she had, Shelly had no idea that I was thinking along these lines for the message. And we have a pillow on our bed and it just says Rich and Shelly and there's a little pocket in there. And from, the, from time to time, we are supposed to write a letter and put it in there. And I, I got to admit, I don't do it enough, okay? But on, I forget, sometime during this week, uh, Shelly, remember, not knowing I was going to talk about this, there was a letter in that, uh, in that little pocket on our little pillow. And, uh, and let me read it to you. 
Not really, I'm not gonna do that. Um, honey, you're just like Thor. <laughs> That's great, okay. Um, no, but, but in here, right, it is written that my wife loves me. It is written that she cares about me. It is written that no matter the times I have screwed up, she forgives me. She loves being married to me. She loves the fact I'm a good father. She loves the fact I'm a good pastor. It is written. And I can, I can go back to this if, if I need to. And there are times when I have looked back over the notes that she has written me because I need that reassurance. I need that moment to go back and say, it is written. And my wife loves me. And I've got letters that I've written to her and hopefully, hopefully she goes back and reads them once in a while. Because <laughs> right? it's written for her as well. And there's something powerful about that. And I think about Jesus and every time he would refer back, it is written. We can do the same thing with the word of God because that is the greatest love letter that has ever been written to anyone ever. It is written. And we need an objective thing to look at in our lives. When we feel down, we can go to the word and we can find the word says it is written that God loves us. It is written that he has plans for us. He has a future for us. It is written that he will heal us. It is written that he is for us and not against us. Folks, it is written. It gives us an objective place to return when the pressures of life get the best of us. It is written, gives us an authority to adhere to when it comes to the direction of our lives. It is written as this reassurance of hope and promise. This is the word of God. And it is written. Hebrews chapter 1 says this about Jesus. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom uh, he also created the worlds. He, meaning Jesus, is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint that word imprint there is just like the old printing presses, right? This, this imprint that happens, that Gutenberg Bible. You can go back and look at it, that imprint that's there. He is the, imp, the exact imprint of God's very being or his very essence. And he sustains, Jesus sustains all things by his powerful word. The author of Hebrews goes on to say in Hebrews chapter 4, for the word of God is living and active sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing even to the point of dividing soul from spirit and joints from marrow. It's able to judge the desires and thoughts of the heart. No creature, no creature is hidden from God, but everything is naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must render an account. This is the word of God. And every time we, we read the word of God, it reveals Jesus Christ. Every chapter Every paragraph, every word, every letter, it's all pointing back to the reality of who Jesus Christ is. And it is written is for us today to put into action into our own lives and to have Jesus be revealed in us. If we want to look more like Jesus, we need to know his word. We need to know what he says because it's there that it's written who Jesus is. So what does it mean to return to the written word of Jesus? 
I'm going to invite you. Let's pick up the story of Red and Kiki. I thought it was love. I thought it was excitement, the thrill of going out, doing things. But it was emptiness. It was just a void. Every relationship that was around me, I was just spinning out of control. It wasn't until that moment where I hit that rock bottom that I really realized how much I needed Jesus. How much that I am second and he has to be first. I didn't like who I was. So I started reading the word of God because I wanted that to be in me. And I wanted that to come out, but... Sorry. Each day I would sit down and, and read my Bible, but that longing that I knew as, as a child was there in my heart. But through reading his word, and through doing intensive discipleship and really focusing on what he has to say. It really transformed my life. One day I received a flyer in a, um, <laughs> at my door and it was for a church. I decided I'm gonna go to this place that I haven't been in 20 years. So I walk into this small little teeny warehouse of a church. And I remember when I walked in the presence of the Holy Spirit was in that place when I walked in and I knew what that was from the moment I walked in and God was relentless he kept on just pouring into me and it was breaking me completely and I remember um, him asking if anybody wanted to receive him as Lord and Savior and I don't remember standing up and raising my hand, but I was. <laughs> but that joy and that presence of the Holy Spirit was so overwhelming that um, I'll never forget that day. His love just poured into me. He ran to me like, like the story does tell us about the prodigal. The father ran to me and he embraced me. John 10.10 10 comes to, to my mind. It says that I have come to give you life, life abundantly. So when I have that relationship on a day-to-day -day basis, my life is full of joy. Reading the Bible every day is important. Um, it's the foundation for the day. And, um, and sometimes I get an opportunity to read chapter after chapter, and sometimes it's just one small little verse. Um, but it starts my day with the Lord. We have to have that personal encounter with Jesus. It's something that's just grounded me to know that he is Lord of all. If we believe it or not believe it, it's the truth. The greatest time of my life is when he came back into my life. I love all of that, but there's one phrase that, uh, that Kiki made in there that I just uh, found um, just, just so amazing for me personally. Uh, God was relentless. And folks, I want you to know that God is relentless. He never, ever gives up. He never gives up on any of us. And that's what we see over and over and over again in the Word of God, is that God never gives up. And so if God has called us to lead the people of the valley to be more like Jesus, all of this starts for us and is foundational in the word of God. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet.
this morning. And uh, very simply, every head bowed, or not bowed, sorry, every head up, <laughs> every eye looking around. Um, because really this, um, this commitment for us as a church um, is a public commitment. And that commitment is to the word of God. And so I think for us, um, basically it's, it's this question for, for us. Are we willing to commit as a body of Christ to allow the word of God to be relentless in our lives and that we would, um, we would let the word of God take that place of foundation in our lives. And if that's the commitment that you're willing to make, would you be willing to lift your hand up that the commitment to the word of God to be foundational to us? Yeah, look around real quick, right? So all around us um, and maybe even online right now, you're lifting your hands as well. Um, this is what we should be noted for as a church body is that we are known for the word of God being living and active here at Life Church Utah. And so God, I thank you for this body. I thank you, God, for these who are a part of Life Church Utah. And God, as uh, you have called us to lead the people of the valley to be more like you, Lord, let it be that we find out what you're like because your word reveals you, God. Every page, every chapter, every word that is written, God, reveals more of you. God, when we read the Old Testament, you're there. When we read the New Testament, Jesus, you are right there. And so, Lord, help us when we read the word be transformed. That, God, we would be a people that know your word. We've got it memorized, Lord. We've, we're able to pull up the word of God, just like Jesus did in a moment of, trans, uh, of, of, um, moment of difficulty uh, in his own life, God. Lord, he was able to pull up your word. God, let it be in our own lives that we know your word. God, that your word transforms us. When difficulties come our way, Lord, let your word rise to the top. God, like we learned last week, Lord, I thank you that you have not called us to be, uh, to be the tail or to be the bottom, but God, you truly have called us to lead. And so God, help us to do that through your word that comes alive within us. Lord, I pray your blessing upon this congregation. Lord, I ask that you would guide them and direct them. Lord, I pray that your word would truly come alive to them and give, give them boldness, Lord, to live for you in this world around us. Lord, let your light, let your word be a light for our path. God, let it be a lamp uh, and a guide for us, Lord, every step that we take. Lord, we love you this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for being here this week. Next week, uh, don't miss, we're going to be talking about innovating ministry to reach the next generation. So God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.